Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. says this, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And so it this moment, Mary began this long, nine months to be precise, time of waiting. I was uh, thinking about Christmas this week, and I was trying to figure out how to describe the attitude, the experience, the emotion of a child going into Christmas. It was funny because Emma was doing something similar. She came up to me on three separate occasions yesterday and said, Daddy, I'm not impatient. I'm just so surprised that Christmas is here already. And she said, I just don't understand it. It was like we moved and then Christmas was here and it happened so fast. And she just kept coming up and talking to me about it over and over. And as I reflected, I was just, I was trying to figure out how to describe it because it's not impatience, right? And I'm, I'm sure we all with our kids, get, we get a little bit of impatience from them, especially Christmas morning as they're trying to rush us through our very necessary morning coffee before we get into presents. And, but, but overall, that, that that attitude that children have, it's not impatience, it's not a negative thing, it's not just feverishly rushing and getting angry and all of those things associated with, with being impatient, but it's more than being excited, right? And I, I never really did land on quite the right word. It's a, a bit of longing, but... I have to say it did convince me over the course of the week because of how hard it was to describe how necessary it is. And there's plenty of negative things about the commercialization of Christmas, but the joy and expectation that we give children looking forward to gifts on Christmas morning I think is an important thing for them to learn because it's very difficult to describe it. 
And in fact, in my life, I can really only think of one other circumstance or situation that in any way resembles it. The closest thing I can think of, the only thing that comes close is, at least in my life, the experience of having a child. The experience that Mary begins in this passage. There's some things that are similar about them. You get closer and closer and closer and you make progress towards it. Every day after Christmas is another day closer to the next one. And yet, there's such a great divide between Christmas Eve for a child and Christmas morning. That on Christmas Eve, you're 364 days closer to Christmas than you were December 26th the year before, but that closeness still doesn't get you any presents. Right? And when you're having a child, it's kind of similar that, um, at least with a child, you get the ultrasounds. I'm sure my kids would love to have ultrasounds of their presents. <laughs> they're, they're not in the room. Oh, sorry, there's a couple in the room. <laughs> My, my apologies to the parents whose kids didn't go to kids' church. But Christmas Eve, kids have no idea what they're getting or what it will be like, and they certainly don't know what the experience is. And as a parent, especially welcoming your first child, you're, the night before, you're so close. Five minutes before, you're so close. There's a huge difference, right? I remember when uh, we gave birth to Emma and Rachel. Um, they, they took Emma immediately and put her right on Rachel's chest, and she hugged her. And I remember thinking, yeah. <laughs> Emma was really, it was really, really messy when she came out. the difference that 10 seconds made, right, of Rachel had never held her child and 10 seconds later she had is the greatest change that's ever been in her life. The message today is this. There are things in our lives, gifts that God is bringing or has promised that have not arrived. And many of those gifts we make progress towards. But until they come, there's not much that we can really hold or experience. There are gifts that we make progress towards and feel like we're not getting anywhere because we're not experiencing them. It would be like if a mother who was eight months pregnant felt like, it's like I'm not even going to have a baby. I'm not doing anything. This is so discouraging. Like, why isn't the baby here? We, we understand with that that it's a process, and in a moment everything will change. With the gifts of God, often we forget that. Sometimes, like what happened when I was a kid once, we were, a few times in my life, had some money. A lot of my life, we had very little and I had times where there were things I just, I wrote off. I said, I'm never going to, we'll never have the money for that. 
and I stopped expecting them. I once missed an opportunity for my dad to give me a gift. He had bought me a, a snowmobile, and we were at the person's house, a friend of ours, and he said, go sit on it. And I was so embarrassed because I knew we didn't have the money for it. I was like, I don't, I'm not going to go sit on it. I'm not going to go be like some little you know, kid at a, a, mute, you know, a, a, a show somewhere. Like it, It's this other kid's snowmobile. I'm never going to have that. I was embarrassed. And I was supposed to sit on it, and my dad was going to say, it's yours. We're taking it home tomorrow. I was so convinced that we couldn't afford it that I didn't even put myself in an opportunity to receive. We do that with the gift of God. We say, God, it's been so long, and I thought you were going to give me this. I thought you were going to reconcile this relationship. I thought you were going to bring me peace. And we just say, it's not going to happen, and we stop even looking for it. We stop looking for the gift. And so what if we change that? And what if we began to look forward to the gifts that God has for us, some of which we know what they are, some of which we're, which we're unaware of as eagerly as children look forward to Christmas? Now here's the thing. I've heard plenty of times done it myself preachers say I know this message is for someone in this room anybody heard someone say that yeah nothing wrong with saying that good thing to say I feel God telling me that there's somebody who just really needs to hear this I've never said the opposite but I'm going to say it today I'm not sure I'm not sure there's anyone in the building today that needs this message. If someone does, and if it's you, I have abridged it significantly. Feel free to come up to me after. I'll sit right here and preach you the whole thing. If you need this message, I'll preach it just for you after. But I'm not convinced that anyone in the room needs the message today. There was another passage that was on my heart this week. I spend a lot of my non-sermon writing time in it. It's in John, uh, not John, Luke, chapter 5. Oh, everybody's turning there. I'll give you a second. Luke 5, 27. I'm going to summarize the passage. Jesus goes out. He sees Levi, a tax collector, sitting in his booth. He calls him, says, follow me. Levi leaves everything behind, immediately just completely reorients his life, follows Jesus. And then Levi throws this big party, invites a bunch of his friends to meet Jesus. They're reclining at the table. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled to his disciples and said, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Maybe by the end of Jesus' ministry, they were getting more used to this practice, but this was right at the beginning. They didn't understand what he was doing, and he defends himself. He says it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. We say... In the church, we say often, we like to talk about how Jesus hung out with sinners. 
I would make a slight amendment to that statement. Jesus did not, let me correct you, Jesus never hung out with sinners. Jesus ministered to sinners. He intentionally spent time with people, but always was he focused on their healing. And that doesn't make the relationship with him any less genuine. But if you had a best friend that was a doctor who came over to your house for dinner, and you cut yourself carving the turkey and you were bleeding out on the floor, you probably wouldn't expect the doctor to say, well, I'm just here as your friend. I wouldn't want to insult you by practicing my profession in your home. Jesus didn't hang out with sinners. He ministered to sinners. And he said very clearly from the beginning that it was not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. Now, doctors, I love this, I love this metaphor, this sort of almost parable that he gives. Because doctors, if they're good doctors, have interactions with healthy people. And if you're a healthy person, your doctor should do things to help you become more healthy, continue being healthy, encourage you to have a healthy diet and take your vitamins and do these things to keep yourself in good health. And as the church, especially as, a, as Nazarenes, we're very focused on ongoing depth in discipleship. And we should do that. We should do that. But the primary work of a doctor and the primary work of Jesus, the primary work of his church, must be healing the sick until there are none left to be healed. If everyone in our towns and cities was healthy, there were no emergencies, no injuries, no sickness, we would have no problem with our doctors spending eight hours a day just writing up even better diet plans and healthier meal options and pushing us just to be the most perfect pictures of health possible. But when there's brokenness, when there's hurting, if you go to the ER, you need medication to keep your heart from stopping. You wouldn't want the pharmacist to say, well, let me just i got to fill this prescription for Centrum Silver for this gentleman. And then we'll get to you. Right? That wouldn't be. So I'm not convinced that anybody in the room today needs to hear that sermon. I'm very convinced that someone not in this building needs to hear that sermon. We have an opportunity this time of year... And I encourage us throughout the year to be thinking about this and leading up to next year to be planning and preparing early. But we have an opportunity this time of year where people are... I didn't look up the data. Or at least I don't remember it. But people are exponentially more willing and open to discussions about Jesus exponentially more willing to come to church. It's this time of year that everyone is talking about Jesus. 
everybody. Saturday Night Live talks about Jesus this time of year. For any of you who watch Saturday Night Live. It's probably not many of you. And even a very, very secular program that if you ask them point blank what they thought about Christianity would have probably lots of negative things to say about it, can't help is drawn to mentioning the name of the Savior this time of year. This is the best. If you're going to invite somebody to church or into a discussion about the thing that could heal them from whatever that thing is that they thought is never going to go away, that they're just stuck with for the rest of their life, whether it's the trauma, whether it's the broken relationship, whether it's the life circumstance, whatever that thing is that they've given up on finding healing, this is the easiest time of year to have that discussion. So here's what I want us to do. At our uh, Christmas Eve service tonight at 6.30, I don't think I've actually had a chance to uh, fully talk about this in church yet. Uh, there's a tradition in my family, and this goes back to, uh, I don't know the exact year because everyone who was there is not with us anymore, but somewhere around between 1945 and 48, a number of my... Um, my dad's uncles came back from World War II and uh, they had these booklets printed. This is a reproduction. There's an original in my office. Um, the originals say Bridgeport Tool and Die Corporation, which was the company they owned in Connecticut. The ones out in the lobby, most of them say New Beginnings Church. Thank you, Brian, for the Photoshop job on that. Great job matching the, like, 90-year-old patina on that, by the way. And so this is, uh, it's the Christmas story. And there's a, as you walk through it, there's a reading, many from Isaiah. And then there's the Christmas hymn that goes along with that reading. And it just walks through the Christmas story. And every year for my entire life, every year for my dad's entire life, all the way back to the 1940s, the Kish family would gather at Christmas, sometimes with 40 or 50 people in and go through this together. I've used it before for Christmas Eve services, and I love it. It's great. This is what we're going to be doing tonight, just walking through the Christmas story, singing all of the songs, hearing the words all together. But I don't want it to be just for us. I don't want it to be just for us because we all will come and it'll be good and we will be encouraged and as Christians we're not immune from needing the great physician we we have things that happen in our lives we all we have heartache I get it I have heartache I have difficulty I have things that I need God to deliver me from things that weigh down on me It's not that there's nothing that we can get out of tonight. We'll be encouraged. We'll be blessed. We will 
experience the presence of God. We will be more ready to celebrate Christmas tomorrow. But there's a lot of people who need it so much more than we do. So here's my challenge to you. On your way out, just grab one of these. We're going to have a bunch of them tonight. You can take one home for yourself afterwards tonight. But grab one of these. Some of them have our address on the back. Some of them were printed before I realized that I should do that. Grab one and use it as a conversation starter to invite someone to service tonight. So maybe you've got someone that you've been thinking about inviting to church for a while. We've invited a a few of our neighbors that we've gotten to know. Actually, one that we haven't gotten to know. We invited them anyway. And we've been kind of waiting for an opportunity. And this is a really good one. It's a really easy conversation. So maybe you have someone like that, that you've been just looking for the right time and opportunity to invite them to church. You know they need it. You know they need healing. You know that there's brokenness in their life that they could be healed of, but you're just not sure when or how. Now, and with this, if that's where God leads you. Maybe you say, I don't know any non-believers. At least not well enough that I'm ready to have that conversation. Well, just take one of these, go to Walmart. And don't just walk up to a random person. I'm not, I will never tell you to just go out and strive for evangelism. Don't, Don't do anything. Take one of these, go to Walmart, walk around with hope, joy, peace, and love, and wait until somebody notices it. Wait until you pass somebody and say, you make a, a little nothing comment to them about something that's in their cart. And then they answer back in a full sentence. And you see that they are lonely and in need. And you start a conversation. And say, hey, I happen to have this thing in my back pocket. Maybe reading through the Christmas story would be a blessing to you. And if you'd like to do it with us, our church is getting together at 6.30 tonight to read the story, to sing some songs, and just experience some peace. Go to Walmart. Go out to lunch. But walk out the doors of the church with one of these in your hand saying, God, who do I need to invite? And I know it's the day of. Strategically, it's a terrible plan. <laughs> people, people have plans. People have things they're doing. There are people that have plans. There are people that maybe would have come if we had invited them sooner. But there's also someone who's saying, this is my first Christmas Eve alone, and I am desperate for something to do to not be by myself at the house. There are people that are saying, I don't know where to turn. I need support. I need help. Where do I go? And then you hand them something with our address on the back. There are people who are saying, man, 
I miss being in church on Christmas like when I used to when I was a kid and would go with my grandmother. I miss singing those songs, but I don't even know where I would start. There's so many churches to choose from, and so many of them are not really places I want to be. I, I would like to be, and I don't really have the energy to just go to ten churches to try and find one that maybe is good. Where would I even start attending church? Strategically, it's a bad plan, but when we have a God who speaks to us and guides us, who knows the hearts of all and is already at work in people, if he's already at work, there's not much left to do. Because he may have already had a conversation with someone who says, you know what, God? If someone walks up to me in this store and invites me to church, I'll go. He did the work for you. So just, just one. That's all I'd encourage you to take. You can take more if Take as many in proportion to how much time you've spent this week praying about inviting people to church. That's not like a, it's not a, like an insult, like you should have been doing this. Just, if you're just starting now, take one. If you've been feeling all week that you really need to be inviting people to church, take four or five. But don't overwhelm yourself. Start small. Second thing is this. If those people come, Will we be ready? Because we invited, Rachel invited our neighbor. Accidentally did it when her kids were in earshot and they started screaming that they wanted to go. Because they love hanging out with our kids and they like the idea of singing songs. Mom seemed a little nervous, which is pretty typical. Anybody, any, let me tell you, and we got to remind ourselves of this as people who go to church every Sunday. I get nervous when I visit churches for the first time. Ever, anybody visit? You know, you're on vacation. You go to a, a new church just to nervous, right? Like new place. You don't count, Keith. <laughs> right? It, it's a new place. Like you're not sure where to park, what doors to go into, and am I on time? And I don't see other people walking in. Am I too early? Am I late? You get that nervous, assured of your salvation, knowing that there's no reason for you to be judged, knowing that you're going in to spend time with your family in the body of Christ. You're walking in most often without shame for the things that you've done that you haven't been forgiven for. Imagine piling all of those things on top of that. That's the experience of people coming to church. It's a new place. They don't know where to park, especially in our building. They don't know what doors to go into, especially in our building. They don't know what they're going to find in those doors, what the people will be like. And in ever-increasing probability in America, they're going into a place where they've been hurt by the people in there. Maybe not here specifically,
it's really difficult to find a person in America who is not in church that doesn't have an issue with church or something that's been done to them to hurt them by a church or just things that they've witnessed churches doing to others that makes them wary and skeptical. But for the honest seekers, those most in need, it's often the guilt or the uncertainty. So if those people do come, if all hundred of you go out and invite a hundred people and they show up, are we going to be ready? How far are we going to let them get into the parking lot still wondering if they're parking in the right place or going to the right door? How many steps into the building are we going to let them get before they know that they're welcome here? Because I'm telling you, there's people that expect to be thrown out. There are people that will walk into church expecting to be thrown out, expecting to not be welcome. How many steps into our building will we allow people to get before that lie is eradicated? If if our neighbor shows up with her kids and her husband, what will their experience be? There's already a lot of uncertainty just in going to church. We don't want to add to it by circumstances. So challenge number one, take one of these. Walk out the doors of this church and say, God, give me a person to invite to church. God, show me where you've already done the work to make this easy for me. You don't have to give a sales pitch. You're not, I've done, I've done cold calling and outside sales. Not fun. Not asking you to do that. You're not starting at zero. Ask him where he's already done the work. And then two, if you're able, if you're healthy, spiritually, if you're well, go to the other side of the counter. If you work at a hospital and you break your leg, you stop working, you're a patient, right? But eventually, you get better and you're staff again. Those are really, we're going to talk about this a lot this year, I think. But I want that to be the two mindsets for the people of our church. When you need to be a patient, be a patient. If you show up on Sunday morning, I don't care what you were supposed to do. If you show up on Sunday morning and you need to be a patient, take off the name tag, metaphorically, and, and, and be a patient. That's fine. But when you're not, you're on staff. When you're not a patient, you're on staff. And you're actively helping. You're actively involved in the healing of others. So service is at 6.30 tonight. Our musicians are getting here at 5.30 I don't know when I'm getting here. I never leave. Show up at 5.45, walk in, and say, what can I do? 
you got a warm coat, we'll give you a vest and an orange light-up thingy. You can wave cars in, you can wave to people, you can smile, you can point them in the right direction. You can greet, you can help people to their seats. You can wander around in here and talk to people in the building that their faces are new so they don't have to just sit there staring at the wall until we begin by themselves. Show up early, be on staff. Now, I don't know what's going to happen. We might get to tonight and there's no new people here. I'm fine with that. Some things take practice. And this is not a one-time thing. Churches that grow are churches where every member goes home and on Monday morning says, God, who am I inviting to church this week? That's how we grow. This is the beginning of a mindset shift, not an event because it's December. So if nobody show, comes tonight, that's fine. Sometimes you've got to invite people five times before they come. I'm not worried about results. But then again, what if they do? And they can hear, I'm not, I'm not preaching tonight. But they can hear, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit, they can hear that message that I don't know that we needed this morning. What if they do come? What if they hear? What if they're healed? I love that I don't know what to expect. Um... I was here. I was here all night last night, just praying and working because that's that's what I do. You'll learn that about me. If I ask you to work with me and do something, that's really the it's the greatest compliment I can give. I was waiting for you to agree, so they know I'm not lying. Yeah, thanks. Um, that's what we did. My, my, my dad, growing up, they would go to Vermont and they bought land and their vacations were going to Vermont and building the vacation house, which my grandfather was never done with, addition and addition and garage and shed. And most of my core memories as a, as a kid with my grandfather and my dad, they're working, learning to mow the lawn or work in the wood shop. That's how I relate to people, is work. Invite me to help over. Invite me over to your house to help build or clean or move or split wood. I'm all about it. That's how I relate to people. And often that's how I pray. So I was here all night just wiring and moving stuff around and getting the sanctuary ready. And that's, that's how I relate to people. It's how I relate to God. It was a good night. I didn't mean to stay that late. I just kept having things that I wanted to do and things I wanted to pray about. Things I was led to pray about. So I don't know. I don't care about the results. But revivals only happen when people start to work.
The revival doesn't start, and then we start acting. We act, we create opportunities, and then we see what he does. You guys excited? Let me pray for you and get you out of here. Father, we uh, we have been so richly blessed by your goodness. Oh, Lord, the, so many things in my life that I, I don't know how I would be standing without you. I don't know. I don't know how to make this life work apart from you. Somebody says to me, how do you be a good husband and not be a Christian? I won't even tell them that they can't. I just say, I just don't know how. I don't, I don't have an option. I can't give you a list of things to do to be a good husband that doesn't include be radically changed by the Holy Spirit. That's my answer. And there's so many that don't have that. There are so many people saying, there's no other options, there's nothing available, I've tried everything and I can't heal from this, I can't change, I can't break these, these chains, I cannot fix this relationship, my, my family is broken and I, what do they want me to do? Father, as we go, we go to look and see where you are working. We are not going to strive. We are not going to bang down doors and just throw the gospel in people's faces. We're not looking, we're not going to do anything ourselves at all. We are just going and praying that you will open our eyes. Show us where you have done the work. Give us someone to invite to church tonight. Give us someone who needs it, who's hungry for it, who's looking for it, who's desiring it. And we love to gather as a church with believers and friends, and it's, it's nice at these sorts of things to have friends that go to other churches, attend. We don't get to see them and worship with them often, but Lord, I pray that we are, we are careful even about inviting those people. And when there are people like that, that we want to reconnect with, but who know your goodness and your grace, I pray that we have the clarity of vision to see what we really need to do while we are here. And that we don't allow a visitor, a new person to go unnoticed and sit alone while we catch up with old friends. It's good to catch up with old friends. It's good for our spirits. It's good for our hearts. But the Lord, that is that sort of thing is soothing discomfort, which is fine until there's someone with a broken leg in the room. And I pray that we would see that when it's in front of us. See those who need healing and whose need is greater than our own.
Whatever happens, Lord, tonight, I am so excited to worship with my church, to read scripture, to sing, to pray, to be in your presence, experience your joy and your peace. Father, we are yours. We are your church. We are here to build your kingdom. We are not maintenance men. We are not janitors. We are not here to just sweep the dust off the floors. We're builders. We build the kingdom. Show us how to do that, we pray. Amen.